0: Thank you for your singing. Trust me, I am conscious that many of you are tired, no doubt, after this week. And I want to say thank you for your service to your brothers and sisters who came to the GA. They came at great expense, um, and you served at personal expense, and I want to acknowledge that. Could I get, if you served in some way during this week... Even if for an hour, it doesn't matter, would you just stand up for a minute? This is not to embarrass anyone else. Don't worry about it. I just want to just, yeah, okay. That's great. Awesome. Some of you were working so you could sustain your families, and that's fine. Awesome. Thank you so much. We thank God for you. And for those of you who held down the fort and contributed to our GDP as a nation, thank you. For those of you who couldn't be here. It takes all of us, and some of you uh, were not able to, but you have you give to our church, and part of that is part of our. You prayed, you lent your families, and so th- for that we thank you. We bless God for that. Well, uh, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to First Peter, chapter two. We were here to to. Weeks ago, on the night of the tenth, and I, and I think it's okay if we don't have it up. It's absolutely not a problem. I want to read for us from First Peter chapter two, verses four through ten. Our subject is worship, and we're saying that worship matters. Worship matters. 1 Peter 4, or chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to bounce down just for a moment, even as... You have this idea of stones, we are living stones, and then the Lord Jesus is the cornerstone, but also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Come to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So that joins the phrase holy priesthood in verse 5. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is out of the book of Hosea here. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the reading of God's word. I want us to pray for a moment. And as we pray, I'd like us to remember two families in particular. One... Marcus and Gina. Gina's mom, some of you might know this, died yesterday, Jan Gerald, up in Minnesota. And thankfully, Gina and the kids were able to get up there maybe a month ago for about 10 days. Um, And I think Pastor Jamie referenced Jan's going, maybe hoping that she died well in the Lord. Also, one of the families that was here this week from uh, Ohio the Lancaster family got a call that their little three-year-old boy had fallen into a fire pit while they were down here for the GA and got second and third degree burns on him from the fire pit. He was flown to a burn center in Dayton, Ohio. He'll have surgery tomorrow. His name is Hudson, Hudson Lancaster, three years of age. The last report is he's doing pretty remarkably well but he's got surgery tomorrow. This is maybe a year's recovery. So if we could remember both Marcus and Gina with the passing of her mom, Jan, and then uh, the Lancaster family, that they're part of the church that Dustin battles pastors at Mercy Baptist Church. Let's go to the Lord if we can. God, we know that no person can do anything unless it's granted from you. And so now as we pray, we ask that you would be with us and you'd be among us. That nothing, not a fly buzzing around, not a problem with a projector or a PowerPoint would distract us. But now that you might draw our hearts out, outwardly and upward, that we might gaze Upon your beauty. We want to remember too Marcus and Gina with Gina's mom, Mrs. Gerald, there up in near Minneapolis. And we pray that for Gina, for her siblings, for their family, that you might draw near to them. We pray that you might use Jan's passing for your glory. That you might make it an occasion for Gina to express to her brother and sister her longing that they might be found as worshipers of the of the one true God of you they might know you and love you, our father we pray too, for the Lancaster family, little Hudson, that you would mitigate his pain, that you would take away any reason for infection. And we pray especially for the surgery tomorrow on those hands that suffered third degree burns and his the backs of his legs that you would have mercy on him. And we pray that his mom and dad would draw near and that this would not be a cause of conflict in their family, of a blame game, but that you'd be right in the middle of that and you would help Hudson's parents, to show extraordinary love and understanding to Megan's parents in this matter. So we pray for grace. Be with us now as we are in the word. Teach us this night. Help us see how worship matters, that you've called us to be a worshiping people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, from two weeks ago, in case you weren't here, I think it was in the morning. I can't remember if it was morning or evening, maybe morning. You and I were made to worship. Um, The other day, it was funny, Sharon and I had a little time with Nick and Shelby Alford. And Nick was saying, he said, you know, I know I was made to preach. That's what he said. I said, like a direct quote. And I said, you were, buddy. You were. And if you were here last Sunday, you... Appreciated the message from First John two, uh, from First John two by our brother Nick, but you and I were made to worship. You were made a worshipper, and it's not a question of whether you'll worship, but rather who and how you will worship. And the reality is that the church was redeemed for worship, and this all makes sense when you understand that the earth, even as we read in Isaiah six. That the earth is like this vessel that is designed to contain the glory of God. And we as the church, from the very first commission to the great commission in Matthew 28, are part of this enterprise to make sure that the whole world, to every corner, every tribe and language and people and nation, is filled with redeemed worshipers who will offer acceptable praise to God through Jesus Christ. So the church was redeemed for worship. And as John Piper, to borrow a phrase from him, would say, every Christian is redeemed for a life of constant, white, hot, God-exalting, Christ-centered, Spirit-filled, and joyful worship. And I want to acknowledge, let's, let's be real. Every moment for you me, even now, some of you have burdens. You have cares and you have distractions. If your little boy just received severe burns, you might be struggling to express joy. So we're not saying this in absolute terms. We're understanding that this is the design, that God's design for us is to have our joy in Him. But make no doubt, even as we saw this morning from Psalm 23, if it we're in the wadis, that is, those valleys, those dangerous places that Pastor Chris spoke to us about, God is with us there as well. But from last week, we saw this. As a holy priesthood or a spiritual house, we were built for spiritual sacrifices, We find that in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. And we'll be there some tonight as well as Psalm 96. But turn, just keep that open for a few minutes, if you will. As you look there in 1 Peter 2, as Peter is writing to the diaspora, or the diaspora, however you want to say that, he's actually saying that they're being built up and together, right, to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In fact, we know we're built in this, and we'll see this in many weeks as Pastor Jamie preaches in Hebrews 13 that we were built to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. I think what's unique, if you've ever been to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier there in Washington D.C. at Arlington National Cemetery, what's extraordinary and almost reverential is how there is no stopping, no seizing of this honoring by this ceremony that goes on 24/7 for the unknown soldier. But even our worship is to reflect something like that. This continuity of sacrifices of praise that go up to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. But also secondly, we saw two weeks ago as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, we are commissioned to proclaim His excellencies. You might think in terms of word or praise and proclamation. And so we're commissioned to proclaim his excellencies. It's fair to say that every Christian is preaching the sufficiency of Jesus when you participate in communion, right? 1 Corinthians 11. But we're also called, 1 Peter 2, to be among those not who are griping and grumbling, but are taking this mouth this mount as an instrument that's to be given in the service of our Lord Jesus and to be proclaiming his excellencies. And clearly that's to the nations. Clearly that's to those who might not know him as we see in 1 Peter 3. And we're told there in chapter 3 that we are to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, he says. Peter says, yet do it with gentleness and, respect. and I think taking that verse in chapter 2 and verse 9 together, the anticipation is, is that we ought to be clothed with this readiness to tell of the, the excellencies of this God who's brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so there it is in all its nobility. We proclaim his excellencies. We tell of his greatness. We shout out his goodness to the world. Some of you know the song by Timothy Dudley Smith, almost. 90 years, almost 100 years old, and he rouses himself in this song. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. Unnumbered blessings give my spirit voice. Tender to me the promise of his word. In God my Savior shall my heart rejoice. And then there's a third thing, and that is as the glory of God attracts worship, Edmund Clowney commenting on Uh, worship and that the church is called to serve God directly in worship, he says the will of God directs our worship. The glory of God draws our worship. The will of God directs it. And he says this as he comments on Hebrews 12. He says this about the church. And I said this two weeks ago, but for some of you, I just want you to hear it again. Because we gather with Jesus there the festal gathering. He says, we're exhorted to gather with him here, Hebrews 10, verses 19 and 25. He says, God's assembly stands in his presence. To be the assembly, i.e., to be the church, is to worship God together. To say that God made us in his image is to say that God made us for himself and that he made us to worship him. Yes, is the church, as the ecclesia, we're the called out ones, but implicitly, and actually explicitly, we're the called together ones, and thus all those one another's of the New Testament, as we'll see next Lord's Day morning. And so he adds to say that God made us in his image is to say that God made us for himself and that he made us to worship him. That's Edmund Clowney. Well, our outline, just two points. The first will be a bit longer, and it's more topical in nature, and then the second will be shorter. First is the word delight. So kids, if you're taking notes, delight in declaration right out of the title for a sermon. And as we think of delight, it's this, this is the short version. We savor him. We savor him. That's very John Piperish, but I want to borrow it as helpful. And I'm going, to, I'm going to define that word savor in a minute. But we savor him as the triune God, worthy of all our worship in joy and unreserved affection of our hearts. I ought not to give my greatest expressions of joy and unreserved affection to the outcome of a football game. That's really lame, isn't it? It ought to be to God, okay? But secondly is this idea of declaration. First delight, now declaration. We declare him to the nations as the one in whom is all our joy, all right? And we'll see as we put these weeks together, gospel, worship, nurture mission that there is a biblical connectedness to all these. That is, what are the essentials of why we're here? We established this early on in the first week or two. If you don't know the why you're gathered, the details, the what and how don't matter, okay? But when we understand because of the gospel the centrality of the gospel, and that the church is called to serve God directly in worship one another. We're to call to live out the gospel, giving our lives for one another, to do good for the other, that we might be all about God's mission and then serve the world in witness. There it is. That's the why. And there's more. We could fill that in. But those are some of the big mountain peaks to answer the question, Why do we exist? So when we speak of declaration, again, this is the outline. Delight, we savor him. Is the triune God worthy of all our worship and joy and the unreserved affection of our hearts. Secondly, when we think of declaration, we declare him to the nations as the one in whom is all our joy and the one in whom they can find theirs. Okay? Now, do you remember if you were here Tuesday night, Dr. Joey Piper preached from 2 Corinthians 4. And it's Paul who says this, and this is what shapes our declaration. For what we proclaim, Paul wrote, is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So what we proclaim, and there's a little bit to which I'm using proclamation and declaration as synonyms is not ourselves but jesus christ and not for our benefit but like the apostle paul we're making that proclamation as the servants of others for jesus sake well first let's talk about delight delight declaration that's it we savor him as the triune god who is worthy of all our worship and joy and the unreserved affection of our hearts. We simply savor him. This delight is seen throughout all the Psalms, okay? Though I've only selected Psalm 96 for us tonight. It's an enthronement psalm, and with Psalm 95, 97 through 100, those six psalms... They're hymns, but we can put them in the category of enthronement psalms. And you might ask, what do you mean by savor? Right? Savor is just Savior subtracting the I. And by savor, I mean you enjoy God so much that you desire your enjoyment of Him to last forever. Some of you know it's like this. Everyone that I meet from Arizona brags that they have the best sunsets. Of all the lower for you. You ever met someone from Arizona? They'd say something like that. Okay. Maybe there's a dish that your wife or your mother, maybe there's something that your husband does on the grill, that the taste of it, or like in the sense of a sunlight, of a sunset, just this picture. Maybe it's a photograph by Ansel Adams of his favorites of, uh, of Yosemite. Some scene there in Yosemite, And you think to yourself, I could just look at that with enjoyment forever. I could just taste that forever. Maybe some of you think that holding a child or your grandchild. But when we speak of savoring God, delighting in Him in worship, we mean enjoying Him so much that we desire our enjoyment of Him to last forever without end. So we could ask, what are the characteristics of this delight? Well, there's just a few points. Number one, it's found in God alone. This delight is in God alone. You're familiar with Psalm 73, and the psalmist, he's like, wow, I just about shipwrecked my faith because I became, I was looking at the wicked and. I was like, man, they really got it so good, and my deal isn't so good. I think I'm, real, I'm kind of considering switching sides. But God guided him with his counsel, and he came to this. He asked us in, in verse 25. This is where he came. It's like the end. He said, whom have I in heaven but you? <laughs> it's like the disciples saying to Jesus, where, Lord, where else where will we go? And the psalmist says, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. I have nothing in heaven but you. There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. This delight is found in God alone, right? Back to where we began, you and I are worshipers. It's not a question of if we will worship, but who and how we'll worship. You'll worship. And moms and dad, this is so important when you think of your children. What are you raising? This is what Paul David Tripp talks about in his book, Parenting. The greatest privilege in all the world is to shape a human soul. You are raising a worshiper. They will worship. And so you must direct the worship of your children to God alone. All right? We must distinguish between interests and hobbies and pleasures, but between the worship that we were designed and made for and created for, that takes special effort to shape that. And it's true for both private and public worship. Like this song, My Soul Finds, Finds Rest in God Alone, based on Psalm 62, 7, if you'll turn there just for a moment, you'll see that our delight in worship needs to be sourced or found in God alone. Look there in verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, right? David is counseling himself. Before we use the phrase biblical counseling, there was biblical counseling. It's right here, Psalm 62, all right? Psalm 42, Psalm 43, all that. Wait in silence, my hope isn't from him. He only, look at this, the exclusivity of alone, and then only, he only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. So let me ask this. If you worship when your team wins, what do you do when they lose? Some of you have brought up the fact that Clemson lost yesterday to Florida State. And I can honestly tell you that that's like a blip on a radar. It doesn't mean anything to me. And I love my alma mater and I enjoy football and all those things. But if I'm only worshiping when my team wins, what do I do when they lose? But God, who never changes, who is this fountain of unending, unfathomable goodness and love in Jesus Christ, he, he alone may be worshipped with supreme confidence because when we're winning, we are speaking in this category of winning and losing Christian, the God who tells Joshua, I will never, lose, I will never leave you nor forsake you, says to you and me, You'll never be at a loss with me. It's very Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. And so we can say with David, with confidence on God, rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. You see, worship really is, as Jonathan Edwards would assert, the end for which God created the world, where God displays for us the glories, the greatness, and the goodness and the treasures of all those in his saving purposes in Jesus Christ for us to enjoy, for us to relish, for us to be humbled by, and for us to proclaim to the nations. But There's a second point as we think of this word delight. Our delight in worship is principally revealed in God's Word, for this is where God is revealed to us in a saving way. And the fact that we're opening up and considering Psalm 96, as we will in a minute, and 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10, they're not gratuitous or perfunctory. The reality is that the book of Psalms was Israel's first hymn book. And it's why Pastor Chris alluded to the peculiar feature of the book of Psalms this morning with that Athanasius quote basically paraphrase what's unique about the book of Psalms is that where most of the Bible speaks to us, it's the Psalms that speak for us. And so, what we think of worship, who we worship, how we worship, all of this is to be drawn either explicitly or implicitly from the Bible. So, when you read about this RPW or the regulative principle of worship, we simply mean that our worship is to be regulated by God's word. And there's more to this, but the idea is simply that the elements of our corporate worship, and you might say even our private worship, the word, reading, singing, and preaching, prayer, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, baptism, communion, are prescribed to us by the Lord in his word. So what is left to us in our judgment are the circumstances of worship, like what time we meet, whether the preacher should wear a tie or not, okay? The number of songs, whether we use hymn books or PowerPoint, singing with no instruments or a full orchestra, whether announcements are at the beginning or the end of the service, how often we observe communion, whether we use the ESV, the NIV, or the NAS, these are all circumstances of worship, and we affirm the liberty of each individual congregation under their elders' leadership, the right to make those determinations. There's another thing, and I want us to see thirdly as we're thinking about delight, the characteristics of this delight is that this worship of delight is to take place in public, private and public. It's not a case of either or, but of both and. And when we have private times in the word and prayer, with song, reading, meditating, listening to and studying God's word, we're priming the pump pump and preparing the heart to gather on the Lord's day, the, the Christian Sabbath, with our brothers and sisters. Don't miss the connection between private worship and public, all right? When you join GBC Taylor's, You commit to do this in a regular way, that is gather like this, all right? And it works both ways. So hear me just for a moment. If you regularly engage in private worship, devotions, quiet time, time with the Lord, it's reasonable that you will have a desire to be with your church family on the Lord's Day. And if you're with your church family on the Lord's Day, It functions to cultivate a desire and a practice of private worship. And by private worship, I mean both on your own and with your family. All right? And I want to be clear about this just for a moment. Let's acknowledge the reality. Has anyone ever come here and been completely distracted for a whole worship service? Is anyone brave enough to admit that? Okay, good. I see it. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Then, praise God, he gives you those times where you've zoned in, right? And if your heart is full, you're not distracted by maybe the baby crying over there or something with this or that or whatever, okay? Or a text or someone's phone going off. Praise God, that's true. But we may gather for corporate worship, one of the true means of grace, but our hearts and minds be a thousand miles away with a thousand distractions, And it's true for both private and public worship, and we need to acknowledge this. You know, we need, so in terms, I want to be very practical here. Know yourself and ask, do you need to sit in the back or closer to the front? You know, some of you think if I sit in the back, I won't be a disturbance to anyone else. But what you haven't recognized is that everyone else in front of you is a disturbance to you, okay? And so know yourself. Exegete your own personality and the way that you can come and give yourself attentively and participate in worship. And that brings us to a fourth point under this as we think about the characteristics of God-delighting worship. It involves careful preparation and participation. this is very practical for a minute and it's not really fundamentally rooted in the text so I'd ask you to bear with me just in um, explicitly from these texts but to aid our delight in our declaration so I want to address our corporate worship or our gathering to worship on the Lord's day so this is for every person in this room so as you hear what I'm going to say apply it please to yourself Try not to think about the person that's 57 feet away and across the aisle, okay? I want to be very practical here. We prepare for worship, we participate in worship. Prepare for worship, we participate in worship. And everything about 1 Corinthians 11 in public worship implies planning, foresight, readiness, and actually consideration for your brothers and sisters that are worshiping with you, okay? And did not Solomon even write in Ecclesiastes 5.1, he said, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So here's some suggestions on how we can do this. Pray for our gathering during the week. I was so encouraged by Dr. Piper's exhortation to us Tuesday night as pastors to be praying for what we're preaching, to be praying for all our hearers, and to ask that you all do that. Think about memorizing the verses of the month. You've got another week with Hebrews chapter eleven, one through 3, and verse 6. All right? It's the last week for that. Familiarize yourself and your children with the songs that we'll sing. Josh Marie sends out, I think, consistently the lyrics each week to the songs we're going to sing. Read the sermon text in advance. If you know on Friday, here's the sermon text for Sunday, try to read it. Meditate on it. Listen to it, all right? Think about planning to give of your tithes and offerings, right? So married, if you're married and you're thinking together, beyond the tithe, we want to give an offering— Maybe rather than doing that right after the service on Sunday morning, exercise some foresight to that on Saturday. How about get to bed early enough on Saturday night so that you're not exhausted on the Lord's Day morning? If you require toothpicks to keep your eyelids propped open on Sunday morning, you went to bed too late. Okay, that's good, like one criteria. And in the Jewish mindset, the Sabbath began on Saturday evening. So think about this, how to pray for a moment. Just in the course of a Lord's Day, you have Josh Rice making coffee. You have a worship team in here at 845 seeking to practice songs together, both instrumentalists and vocalists, all right? You have Sunday school teachers getting ready to teach. There's security in their detail. There's nursery workers. There's a full AV team that seems like they're always doing three to four things at any given time, all right? And you can pray for all of those, all of those. You can, you can pray for us as pastors that we, might, that we might bring the word having prayed it to ourselves. Maybe come early so you can fellowship or pray with another person or even bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Here's a novel idea. Stay late so you can do the same things you could do if you had come early, okay? Just think about it. It's not complicated. Parents, let me encourage you. Here's an idea, because I've realized we're bumping up on our Lord's Day mornings often. We're we're just, we're having such a great time of fellowship that maybe if we could reduce that by a minute or two and help get our children seated just a few minutes before the start of our service, kind of to convey a sense of the importance of readiness as we prepare to worship as a church family. And I want to give you an illustration of this. Do you know how beautiful it is on Thanksgiving Day if you're seated around the table and all the dishes are out? You guys know what this is like, okay? And sometimes you do buffet style, but sometimes you do it family style. Everything's on the table. The table's all spread. You're all seated. And everyone's sat and 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 the father the dad says let's let's hold hands and let's pray and there gives a solemnity to both the sweetness and the goodness of that moment that in a sense sets it apart we're thankful god you've given this to us and i think on the lord's day that as a church we would do well to grow just a little in those few moments before the beginning of our corporate worship at 1045. And that's not to say, you guys, the thing I think that we can affirm is we see a lot of happy, bouncy kids that are glad to be in this 4,800-square-foot room right here on the Lord's Day. So kudos to that. And I think what we want to do is add just a teaspoon of referential, kind of reverential planning by having moms and dads Just like gathering their little chicks to the nest just a minute or two before the Lord say, receive that. That's not intended as a chiding word, but maybe something I think we can grow in as a church. Now, to our second point, but just briefly, it's the idea of declaration. The light and declaration. Turn with me to Psalm 96, to this enthronement psalm that was to be sung, of course, as a hymn. Remember, it was Paul that said to the Corinthians, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Okay, let me ask you a question just briefly. And I think we'll end up going about till five after. Who's ever been discouraged and visited someone in a nursing home or an assisted living or someone sick in a hospital? You're kind of down and you go and you visit and what happens when you leave? How do you feel? I heard the word better. Yeah. What have you done for a few minutes? You've shifted the focus from you to them. All right? And so Paul is effectively telling us something here when he says we proclaim what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord there's something about the people of God that we were made for we were redeemed for this outpouring of praise and thanksgiving that what's weird is by the pouring out of ourselves in worship to the triune God we find ourselves actually the most full. By emptying ourselves of worship to God, the one who redeemed us, there's something in that that God has designed to give us our greatest satisfaction. And I'm not saying that, like, we ought to do that as the motive itself, like, well, we should give to get. But when we declare him to the nations as the one To whom is all our joy, our joys reinforced. We find a model for this. When you ask, how do we do it? We find it in the Word. Look in Psalm 96. What we may call this enthronement psalm. And these psalms served as hymns in Israel's worship. And that principle or our corporate calling that we find in 1 Peter 9 and 10 that where Peter says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's illustrated here in Psalm 96. So I going to ask you a question. What punctuation mark is very common in the book of Psalms? Someone tell me. Thank you. That's exactly right. So you must let the Psalms shape your praise... Let the Psalms give impetus and energy and words to how you will proclaim his excellencies, the excellencies of this one who has called us out of darkness. And Psalm 96 does this, all right? Worship and praise is not largely the realm of Stoicism. And I think if you remember this morning, the pastor Chris talked about cynicism and Tim Keller's thought on that. I'd have to say that Stoicism is kin to cynicism. So think just about this for a moment. You were dead, and God made you alive. You were in darkness, and he's brought you in to his marvelous light. Can you be stoical about that? Is that really possible? Is your face really going to look like a chalkboard when you tell others? Is it going to be that blank when you tell others about the God who's done that? Listen to me It's okay to be reserved. And some of you are more reserved than others. And I I understand that. I want to acknowledge that. But there is a time for the most reserved among us to be their least reserved. And do you know when that is? I'm going to tell you. It's at the appointed place and hour of worship. The place of delighting in God in worship. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever, you know, sometimes you're afraid to show your emotion. We're naturally reserved or stoical. We don't want to be thought immature or like, like, I don't know, just you fill in the blank. Like if I, if I, if I show in this moment the joy that I'm feeling, the relief, the delight, you might think less of me. But all the Psalms are drawing out. The rightness of us expressing our joy in God, all right? And so the reserved among us ought to be the least reserved in this moment. Your least reserved moments ought to be here in the worship of God. And to Victor, to your point, the second thing is that proclamation is formed out of exclamation. Look at this just for a moment. Have you ever studied the use, the number, and the location of exclamation Marks in the book of in the book of Psalms. Look, they're all over the place. Psalm ninety-six, verse one. Right, sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse three, declare His glory among the nations. There, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Verse seven, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse eight, bring an offering, come into His courts. Verse nine. Tremble before him all the earth. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Verse 11, actually verse 12, let the field exult and everything in it. Our worship gives an exclamation mark to the person in works of God, all his works of creation, providence, and redemption. Now, I think you can check this out universally. Some of you know praise the Lord is from the Hebrew hallelujah. I do not think you can find either bless the Lord or praise the Lord or hallelujah in the book of Psalms without it always being completed with an exclamation point. I mean, can you imagine, someone says, how was your day? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then you, like, do you really mean it? Could you maybe notify your face to be in alignment with the words that you're expressing? Brothers and sisters, Aim, wrestle through this. When you're struggling to worship God, even in private, you take yourself to Psalm 103 and you begin to express a litany of all the ways that you can bless God. You take David's counsel to himself when he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. To not forget something is a good mandate to make a list of all those things, right? If you don't want to forget all his benefits, then call to remembrance every one of his benefits. And so finally, we affirm this relationship between delight and declaration. And I want you to think about this just for a moment. So focus on this as we wrap up. To delight in the glory, the greatness, and the goodness of God and not declare it is unthinkable. But conversely, to declare the glory, greatness, and goodness of God and, de- and not delight in it or in Him is unsustainable. Right? To delight but not declare is unthinkable. To declare but not delight is unsustainable. And it is a common stratagem of Satan to derail us in those things that God desires for us. Does God want you to read his word? Then he's going to make it hard. He's going to distract you. Does God want you to pray? Then he's going to make you feel that your prayers are bouncing off the ceilings. So you want to be aware of that. So to, th- to think... That I will sustain or that you will sustain a credible witness for God without a sustained delight in God is presumption. And so just for a moment, I want you to fix your eyes on Psalm 96 and we'll be done. Would you sing to the Lord? That's verse one. Would you declare his glory among the nations? That's what the psalmist is calling Israel and us to here in the psalm. Would you ascribe to the Lord the glory of to to the Lord glory and strength. Would you do that? All right, verse seven. Would you assert that the Lord reigns and will judge the peoples with equity? Would you, would you, would you? Then, here's my response. If you would then, you must know him as revealed in his word. You must possess a growing knowledge of the sweetness and significance of, of his names, even like Yahweh or Lord in all caps, as we saw in Psalm 23 this morning. You must study and acquaint yourself and meditate upon his salvation, his works, his glory, his strength, his justice. And kids, here's the thing. Here's why you can do it. The greatest thing in all of life is to know God the greatest thing. It's better than a vacation at Disney World. It's better than your mom's best lasagna. It's better than the first deer that you'll ever kill sitting with your dad. It's better. It's better than the book that you cannot put down and will keep your light on all night to finish reading. It's that great to know God. And so to study, if you'll sing to God, if you'll declare his glory, if you'll ascribe to to the Lord glory and strength, You must know him as revealed in his word. You must mind the sweetness and the significance of his names. You must study and equate yourself and meditate upon his salvation, his works, his glory, his strength, his justice. Yes, the heavens, as we've seen these last few days of beautiful weather, the heavens declare the glory of God. And we receive, Paul says in Romans 1.20, an introduction to some of God's invisible attributes by creation, but it is through his special revelation, not his general revelation, that is through his word that his saving ways in Jesus Christ are made known. I want to close. Are you a worshiper of of Christ Jesus the King? Do you truly worship? Do you prepare for worship? Do you prioritize it? Do you prepare for and participate in worship Some of you maybe are going through hard times. And sometimes I'll notice maybe you're not singing. Some of you, you're not singing when we're singing. Give you a challenge. Begin singing in your heart. Then pick a song to sing. Say, I'm going to sing. I normally don't sing out loud. Sing with us. We're invoked in Ephesians and Colossians, to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The way to do something sometimes is simply to begin doing it. Do you delight joyfully in worship that declares God's goodness? Every day, are you saying, are you telling yourself like Psalm 34, 8, and others, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you you relish in these words from Isaiah 6, verse 3, that the whole earth is full of His glory? Do you understand why the psalmist would say in Psalm 48, verse 1, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Goodness, glories, greatness. I was made for this, and so were you.